Good day, everyone. I'm David, you might have heard, one of the student ministers here at Snack. Uh, it's great to be with you all as we work through uh, the first reading we heard tonight. Being a dad, it's given me a new perspective on sickness. There was this one time, uh, Maddie, my wife, had gone out for the night. Uh, she was away maybe one or two nights, and I was at home with the kids. And it just happened to be the night when all the kids got a gastro bug. Yep. Yep. Look, I'm not going to go into the details, okay, but I will tell you this. It was like something out of a horror film. (laughs) Seriously. There's some of you don't have kids here, so you're just gonna have to trust me on this. It was it was horrible. There were things that I saw that night that I can't I can't unsee. There's this one moment. I think this is when I knew that I was in the pits, and it was when um we'd lost all the bed sheets. And uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Brandon gets it. It's losing bed sheets all the time. Run out of bed sheets. I just laying towels out, you know, hoping that maybe it would work. I don't think it did, but that's okay. Um, you know, that kind of sickness, uh, it's annoying when you wake up in the night, but it's, it's trivial, right? In the end, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, but when it comes to the more extreme sickness, uh, the kind of sickness where life and death hang in the balance, it's a different experience. Uh, it's the kind of sickness that when other people are going through it, your loved ones, uh, and worry uh, keeps you up at night. And when you're apart from them and you hear the phone ring, uh, your first thought is, has something gone wrong with them? You just feel it with anxiety. It's a different experience of sickness. It might even be the kind of thing that you're going through at the moment. Well, during our time now, we're going to work through that first reading that we heard, uh, seeing Jesus' second sign. And as we work through this passage, we're going to hear how God speaks into this space of sickness and death. But before we do, let's get our bearings. Remember, we're in the middle of a mini-series in John's Gospel, and John's included these miracles that Jesus has performed, which he calls signs, all throughout um, his Gospel. And John tells us the purpose for these signs in chapter 20. Have a read. This is what he says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the purpose uh, for John including these signs is to point us to a greater reality that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might find life in his name. So let's get into our passage and see how our sign today points to this greater reality. Our story begins with a dishonorable welcome. Leading up to our passage, Jesus and his disciples, they've been in Samaria for a couple of nights. You can see it right in the middle of the map. And while they were there, people came to believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. And now they're on their next leg of the journey. They're moving further up north to the region of Galilee. And the Galileans welcome him. And we're told why in verse 45. Have a read if you've got your Bibles. We hear that it's because they'd seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. For they had also gone to the festival. Uh, This is referring to the Passover festival that uh, is recorded in chapter 2 of John's Gospel. Uh, So some of these Galileans, they went down to the festival. And they're among the people who saw Jesus' miracles, who put their faith in him. And now as Jesus has come up to Galilee again, they're welcoming him in. 
Sounds pretty positive at this point, right? But did you notice the verse just before? It's a curious line that John's included, verse 44. As they're heading up to Galilee, this is what he includes. Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So these Galileans, they're receiving Jesus with a form of faith, and yet we're learning that they're not honoring Jesus. How can you believe in Jesus and not honor him? Let's keep reading. Uh, from here, verse 46, we hear Jesus and his, and his disciples, they went again to Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. You can see on the map, Cana is just near Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And last week, if you were with us, it's here we saw Jesus perform his first miracle, turning the water into wine. And it's at this point in our story that we, we meet another character. And in verse 46, uh, there was a particular royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. Now, this official is probably a Jew, and his, his role would have been to serve the Roman Empire, who ruled over Israel at the time. But we learn more than that. We learn that he's a father, and his son is ill. Later, we hear that his son's got a fever, and he's actually about to die. Uh, it's, it's at this point in the story, I feel out of my depth, a hearing of this man's experience. I've got three young kids, and um, none of them have gone through extreme sickness. None of them have passed away. But I'm, sure, I'm sure some of you have had this experience, or you know of somebody who's had this experience. Uh, I understand it's one of the most horrible griefs you can go through. This father is in a desperate situation. But he gets a glimpse of hope. He hears that Jesus is in Cana, which is just near where he lives. Uh, and we don't know if he'd seen Jesus' miracles or he just heard of them. But either way, this man now has a plan. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he pleaded him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So he travels to Cana. And he begs Jesus to come back with him to his home so he can heal his son. You can imagine him there before Jesus pleading his case with raw emotion. He's a father that's doing everything he can to protect his son. Which makes uh, Jesus' response to him a bit surprising, doesn't it? I wonder if you noticed, verse 48, uh, Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this man's come to Jesus for help, and he, he rebukes him. Why? Well, it's not because there's anything wrong with him coming to Jesus for help. And actually, this man's a great example of a father who's caring for his family, protecting them. And later, we even see that Jesus, he is compassionate to this situation that he's going through. It's because right now, Jesus is addressing an even more critical matter what could be more critical than this man's dying son? It's a faulty belief in Jesus. What's a faulty belief in Jesus? Well, through John's gospel, you see that people are trusting in Jesus, which is good, but they're not trusting in Jesus on his terms, in who Jesus says he is, and in what Jesus says he's come to do. Instead, they're receiving him on their own terms, terms that are inf informed by their values, the values of their society, and returning to verse 48, we see Jesus, he, he's, a, he's addressing a particular type of faulty belief. 
Again, have a read. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So the problem here has got something to do with the signs. And still at this point, though, you might be thinking, hang on, aren't the signs a good thing? To which I'd say, I hope so, because we're doing a seven-week series in it. The signs aren't the problem here. John even tells us he's included this so that we might believe in Jesus. So what's the issue? The issue is trusting in Jesus based on the signs alone, instead of the reality that they're pointing to. And notice how, this, how Jesus addresses this man. He does it in the plural. He says, you people. And you see, he's using this man as an example of the Galileans more generally. Remember, these Galileans, they saw Jesus' miracles and they believed in him. And as Jesus is coming back to Galilee, they welcome him in. But they're still not honoring Jesus as they put their trust in him. And now we see why. These Galileans were trusting in Jesus, but their belief centered on his signs instead of the glorious reality that it was pointing to. And and instead of coming to Jesus and humbly listening and hearing how Jesus was revealing who he is and what he's come to do, they made demands of Jesus. We see this even with the royal official. You see, he's, he's learned from the signs that Jesus might be able to help his needs And it's it's only on this basis that he's come to Jesus for help. So how significant is it, uh, this faulty belief in Jesus? If you look at it from Jesus' point of view, he sees it as so important here. He feels compelled to address this matter before he deals with the issue of the son's health. It's serious. And so given the urgency, it's worth asking the question, is your faith in Jesus faulty? That is, is is your faith in Jesus grounded in your own agenda or or the agenda of this world? It's so important to get this right. Jesus, he doesn't promise to preserve your life or the life of your loved ones in this lifetime. He doesn't promise you'll find the perfect spouse or, or have the perfect family or they fulfill your hopes and ambitions in this world. And any faith that's based on these things is a, is a faulty belief, and you need to address it urgently. Especially because, as we're about to see, what Jesus is holding out is so much more glorious, and you don't want to miss it. Let's keep working through the story. So despite Jesus' words at this point, this man sticks with plan A. Let's call it the Galilean faulty belief plan. Pretty catchy, right? I came up with that during the week. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, (laughs) we can workshop it later. But come along with me. Verse 49, he responds to Jesus and he says, Sir, come down before my boy dies. You know, he still thinks if he can just get Jesus along with him to his home, maybe Jesus will heal his son. But Jesus doesn't budge. Instead, he speaks. He says five words, verse 50. Go, your son will live. And at this point, this man has a choice to make, doesn't he? He can stick with plan A. Maybe he can still find a way to get Jesus along with him. After all, like if this miracle doesn't work, he needs a backup plan. Maybe if Jesus is there, he can sort out the problem. After all, it's his son's life. Why wouldn't he do everything in his power to ensure his son's health? 
Or he can move to plan B. With humility, he can believe in Jesus on his terms, listening to Jesus, trusting his word of promise to him. Wonderfully, this man chooses plan B. End of verse 50, the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Because Jesus is always faithful to its words, it's at this point in the story that we see the sign unfold. Uh, let's read the rest of the account together. Verse 51, while he was still going down, his slaves met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday, at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. And the father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. How incredible this moment must have been for the father. Can you imagine it? Jesus powerfully healed his son. As amazing as this sign is, we've still got to ask the question, what's it revealing to us? Remember, uh, this is what John says his signs are here for. That's the purpose of them. And they're revealing a greater reality. If we don't ask this question, you know, we could be like the Galileans here and just sticking with the sign rather than the reality. So what's it revealing? Well, the first thing the sign shows us is that Jesus is the glorious Son of God, the one who has power over sickness and death. When Jesus performed this sign, he was in a different town to this kid. As far as we know, that never met before. But Jesus doesn't need these things because he's all-powerful. Five words, and just like that, the son was healed, rescued from death. Really, he didn't even need those five words. He said them for the sake of the Father. He said them for the sake of us. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I want to give an analogy to you here about what this is like, but we've got no worldly comparison because Jesus is the one and only eternal Son of God. Do you have a faith in Jesus that incorporates this view of who he is? Do you have an expansive view that takes hold of the reality that we're not at the center of this universe, but Jesus is? He's amazing. And the more we come to know him and grasp this reality, the more you see there's only one appropriate response. Worship. It's worshiping the Son of God, the one who is worthy of all our adoration, all our reverence, all our service. Well, if that's not enough, this sign reveals even more. It points us to Jesus' mission as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, as amazing as this sign is, it didn't actually solve the Father's problem in the end. You know, his son eventually got sick again and died. For all we know, he slipped in the bathroom the next day and cracked his head. Um, I hope he didn't. <laughs> That's why I don't ad-lib. It goes wrong. <laughs> but it didn't solve his problem, did it? He died. The father died. In the end, death's a reality for everyone and everything in this world. God tells us in his word that it's, it's his right judgment on a world that's rejected him as the Lord, a world that's cut themselves off from the source of all life. And when we see sickness, when we experience it, 
It's a symptom of this reality. But it's also a warning for a future day, a final day of judgment where all those who have rejected God will face God's judgment and it will lead to an eternity apart from him and all things good. Which is why Jesus' mission as the Messiah is so important. God sent his one and only son into this world so that in his death on the cross, he would take the punishment for the sins. He would take the punishment for the sins that we deserve. And in his resurrection, he would rise to new and indestructible life. What does all this accomplish? Well, Jesus tells us in the following chapter. Have a look, chapter 5, 24. It's going to be on the screen. He says this. He says, I assure you, Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's made a way for people no longer to come under God's final judgment, but instead to go from death to life, eternal life, life that begins now, but culminates in that new creation where there'll be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. Who's this life for? Have a look again at the verse. Jesus assures us it's for anyone who hears his word and believes. There are many wonderful promises that Jesus has made to us. Have a read through John's gospel in the wake. They're wonderful, so many. But I don't think any are more wonderful than this. It's so amazing. So are you listening to Jesus? Like the man in our story today, are you trusting in him? In the end, that's that's why the man is such a great example to us. It's why it's such a wonderful story. Because he may have come to Jesus with a, a faulty belief, But in the end, he listened to Jesus and he trusted in him on Jesus' terms. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, there's still time. Find out who he really is. Listen to him as you come to God's word. Hear what he has to say about who he is and what he's come to do. And respond, respond in repentance, respond in faith in him. In the end, it could be as simple as five words. Say to God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And if you throw your lot in with Jesus, then this promise is for you. Hear Jesus' words one more time. He says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. From death to life. People explore Jesus for many reasons. Often it's not as extreme as um, someone trying to protect their loved one. You know, it might just be that they think uh, they'll learn how to be a better person or live a better life or make a few new friends. None of these reasons are bad in and of themselves. But it's so wonderful when through this process they come to know Jesus, know who he really is, and they come to find life. Last year, I was involved in the life course, uh, funnily enough. It's a, it's a four-week course at Snack. 
we explore who Jesus is. And it's during life that I, I met a guy called Alex. And in that first week, he told me uh, he's a Christian. He's just coming to better explore his faith, to understand it better. Uh, but it was only a few months later, we had another chat. And he was reflecting on that first week. And he said to me, he said, I had no idea who Jesus was. In his own words, he said, mate, I was giving him lip service. That was it. But it was in those months since that Alex had come to know Jesus. He'd come to know him as his Lord. He'd come to know him as his Savior. You see, like the man, Alex listened to Jesus. And he trusted in his word. Because Jesus is always faithful to his word, Alex was brought from death to life. He's now sold out for Jesus. He goes to a church a bit closer to where he lives, but sometimes he listens to these sermons. I say, Alex, if you've tuned in, keep pressing on, brother. <laughs> uh, next week is our last Sunday here at Snack for me and my family, and we're going off to, um, to Adelaide. I'm going to be an assistant minister at a, a small growing church there. And as I've started to say my goodbyes to, goodbyes to you guys, I found it hard to come up with the right words, uh, words to express my thanks for you, and uh, words hopefully to encourage you as well, uh, which is why I'm so glad that I can speak these words to you tonight. Because in the end, what God's calling us to here, he's calling us to let the realities of the gospel govern and shape everything we do. And so as we finish up, uh, here's one of my prayers uh, for you guys. I pray that you'll be a community that's captivated by Jesus, worshipping him with your whole lives, uh, all your reverence, all your adoration, all your service. I pray you'll be swept up in the realities of what Jesus has accomplished, what he's come to do. I pray you'll be listening to his word and trusting in his promises for you. Promises that include the new creation where there will be no more sickness where there'll be no more death. And while you eagerly await Jesus to return and take you home, I pray you'll keep proclaiming Jesus to each other, but more than that, to proclaim, them, proclaim Jesus to others so that they might share in this life too. Remember the reality is greater than the sign. Jesus is the glorious Son of God and the merciful Messiah. Amen.